0: Well, welcome to quantum number 201. Now, thank you so much for all of you who've been getting in touch, saying different things, but also just how you appreciate the the mixture that's involved here, which is great. And for those of you who are new to quantum, I just want to explain what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at news and culture from a Christian perspective, but listening to what other people have to say and trying to give us an understanding of what's going on in the world now. Sometimes it's pretty heavy and hard going. But I don't mean it to be hopeless. But uh, perhaps this song will help explain something.
1: Yeah, well, have you believe everything? It's a news.
0: Opinions of views, And other voices. This is Van Morrison. Uh, his new album what's it going to take and it's a very political album it's a very politically incorrect album and here's his song fodder for the masses just listen to a wee bit of this
1: fill your head with fear that worry and guilt if you don't accept the drift call you a conspiracy theorist so they'll take care of it you really don't exist you don't Playing a role for those who seek control. No, 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 it's just more. It's just more. Father for the masses. It's just more. It's just more. Falling Falling for, for, the the masses. Masses. for the masses. Falling for the masses. for the masses.
0: In all of this you have to be really careful. There are people who believe conspiracy theorists and and it's impossible to argue with anyone who is into conspiracy theories because anything that you say will be part of the conspiracy. So we are not going that route. However, there are people who have kind of have a conspiracy theory that everyone who doesn't agree with them is a conspiracy theorist. And there are people who say we've just got to believe the government. And I think the Christian view is very different. I think our view is that the devil is the father of lies and he does seek to confuse and use and abuse. So that's not what we're doing here. We're trying to understand. We're not claiming we understand everything. We're certainly not saying we know everything. But just looking at the news and trying to grasp what's going on. And I hope it's helpful for you. I hope that... uh, we're able to interact together. So, um, let's start with something that actually I didn't want to do. That is, of course, from Pirates of the Caribbean. You think of Pirates of the Caribbean, then Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp. But we're not talking about Pirates of the Caribbean here, are we? We are talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Now, I'd been in Scotland for a month. and am back in Sydney. But as we were driving around on every news item, in fact, I remember one day we had Ukraine, we had COVID, we had so many serious things and the headline item in the news was Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and then I think the second item was uh, another celebrity battle and I just thought well why bother? No I'm I'm not going to do anything about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Why am I interested in this celebrity uh, fight or this marriage breakup? And yet I do think there are lessons for us to learn. So In case you don't know what's been going on, uh, let me try and share something with you. First of all, the US jury has found both Johnny Depp and his ex-wife Amber Heard liable for defamation. Now what happened was that Johnny Depp uh, was basically won the case. He was awarded $15 million dollars against his former spouse because of statements she wrote in an article for the Washington Post in 2018. Incidentally, one that seems to have been ghostwritten by the ACLU, which itself is fascinating. Um, Heard won one case of defamation against Depp based on statements made by one of his lawyers that her abuse claims were a hoax and she was awarded $2 million in compensatory damages. Now, Depp has welcomed the verdict, saying the jury gave me my life back. I am truly humbled. He said he'd brought it the case for the sake of his children. Uh, Heard said she was heartbroken and disappointed by beyond words, and then, of course, claimed that, that this verdict, I'm disappointed with what this verdict means for other women. So, where do we go from this? Well, it's just, I, I don't know, it's, I think it's really quite extraordinary. I think nothing that's come out of the trial is really edifying for, for either of them. Depp comes across as a very angry addict. Um, his behaviour is just bizarre. Um, and Heard comes across almost the same, a deeply unstable person who secretly recorded her husband and, and was very violent herself. Um, at one point... She actually said to him, recorded herself on a, on a phone conversation, saying to him, what, you are going to say that I abused you? And who's going to believe that? And basically used her position uh, uh, as a woman. She herself had been violent. Again, it's, it's, it's fascinating, just the, the commentary on all of this. I mean, I don't claim to know. But we'll, we'll say what we can say. But let me just maybe give you this from Brendan O'Neill. And I'll put a link, as, as we do, I'll put links to articles. Um, the narrative, he says, is that good people believe Heard, bad people think she's a lying narcissist. The headline in Vogue said, Why it's time to believe Amber Heard." Those who doubt her truth have clearly experienced an erosion of empathy. The idea that Heard cannot open her mouth without committing an untruth is clearly unfair. And yet the idea that she must be believed, says O'Neill, and that failure to believe her is a sign of moral corruption, is wrong too. And then he says this, which I thought was superb. The cry of our post me too era is believe women, but over the past couple of years it has become painfully clear that this does not mean all women. Belief is a luxury enjoyed by rich women and right on women, but it is often denied to poor women and women who are problematic in some way. Consider the extraordinary disparity, says O'Neill, between the media sympathy accorded to middle-class, Oxbridge-educated female journalists in the UK who say that they were once clumsily hit on by ageing Tory blokes and the media's reluctance to focus for too long on the dire instances of rape and abuse suffered by working-class girls at the hands of grooming gangs made up of men from mostly Muslim heritage backgrounds. I think that point is, is absolutely spot on. Let me say what I think we can say, and I, and, and I do think this is important. Firstly, this. Most domestic violence is from men. There's not an e- equality here between men and women. In fact, there's not an equality because men are stronger. Which is why, by the way, having men in jails or men in women's sports really does matter. But it is the case that most domestic violence is done by men, and that is important to accept and recognise. But it's also important to accept and recognise that women can be abusive too, as was evident in, in, in this trial. And that abuse can take place in different ways. It can be physical, but it can be other forms of abuse. And we need to be very, very careful, as O'Neill pointed out, we need to be very careful about saying, well, because they're a woman they must be believed, and because they're a man they must be disbelieved. I think the third thing I would say is marriages can be very difficult. And I would, a fourth thing would be simply this, that celebrity culture does not help. So, it's just a desperately sad situation. Um, okay, let's just do something on Ukraine. A uh, couple of things. Americans are sending longer-range missiles to Ukraine. Probably won't get there for three weeks, and by then it may be too late, because the Russians are grinding on in the east of the country. And then again, this kind of Proxy war, people encouraging people to go and fight in Ukraine. British citizens who travelled to Ukraine, reports uh, The uh, Guardian, I think, they've been treated as cannon fodder. Ben Aitkin, the youngest known Brit to join the war, aged 18, told Channel 4 News, you can't trust these people to look after you. It's disorganised mayhem. You're ill-equipped, you're poorly armed, you'll be used as cannon fodder. The Times claims there have been 20 British citizens have killed in the conflict. Then tied in with the conflict is the impact on inflation. Consumer prices in the EU zone rose 8.1% for the year ending in May. That's going to be a really ongoing thing. Now we said this last week and I'll say it again. Although Ukraine is a factor, there are other factors involved, not least the way we dealt with COVID, it is a basic fact of economics that if you print money, you eventually create more inflation. And a lot of the inflation that we are now facing in many countries in the world is due to the measures that were taken to combat COVID.
1: Ukraine threatening again here with Yomelenko, a provider this time. And Yuretschuk's header goes in, and Ukraine are 2-0 up. The world is willing them to make it to the World Cup and they are responding and Scotland have so, so much to do now to avoid yet more World Cup heartbreak.
0: One other thing about Ukraine, wasn't it nice of Scotland to let Ukraine win and go forward to the final, if you like, against Wales to see who goes to the World Cup? Scotland are certainly not going.
2: it's snow when we finally. It's
0: Dean Martin, of course, let it snow. Why is it appropriate? Because, we've come back to. I think we've had a very cold May in Scotland, and I've come back to Sydney, and it's actually cold. I'm sitting with a jumper, and we've got the heating on. And uh, we've been told that alpine regions across the southeast of the country, and did you know that Australia had alpine regions, have been blanketed in heavy snowfall, and the ski resorts are all opening early. Uh, 40 centimeters of snow fell on Mount Buller in Victoria, Perisher, uh, Wellington, Mount Kosciuszko. They're all expecting to open. I think in Perisher they were saying they were expecting up to one meter of snowfall over the weekend, and their bookings are going to re- are reaching a six-year high. Wow, wow! It's just. Incredible! Incredible! Anthony Albanese has only been prime minister for a couple of weeks, and already global warming has been fixed. Sorry for being facetious. It struck me that in Sydney, in in the area where I live, in North Sydney, there's an uh, an independent MP who's been elected largely on a, a climate change ticket, uh, Kylia Tink, and she put out this amazing tweet today. China is set to install 108 gigawatts of solar in 2022. That's more than two times the entire electricity capacity in Australia. I'll be working with local councils and state government to make the federal seat of North Sydney one of the first net zero urban energy zones in Australia. We must do better. Now, what Kylie doesn't say is that China is accounting for 52% of the 176 gigawatts of coal capacity under construction in 20 countries in the past year. That's pretty well the same as the year before. And she wants us to emulate China. I also pointed out that uh, China was not going to use Australian coal, which in coal terms is much cleaner than Mongolian coal. And I think I would also simply point out this, that suburbs becoming net zero is meaningless Doubtless, there are people who are daft enough to think that if North Sydney becomes net zero, our climate will be better. No, it won't. It really won't. Because all that we are doing is exporting our carbon uptake, if you like, to China and to other countries, but particularly to China. So middle-class affluent suburbs like North Sydney, people can even do this. They can buy carbon credits so they think they're being net zero. No, they're not. They're still... Their lifestyle, our lifestyle Is still putting lots of carbon into the atmosphere Speaking of which, and speaking of travelling Here's Peter, Paul and Mary
2: All my bags are packed I'm ready to go I'm standing here outside your door I hate to wake you up To say goodbye But the dawn is breaking, it's early morn. Taxi's waiting, he's blowing his horn. Already I'm so lonesome, I could cry. So kiss me and smile for me. Tell me that you'll wait for me.
0: Leaving on a jet plane There's so much hypocrisy involved in all this climate change stuff I mean I do think we need to deal with these issues But it's the hypocrisy that really gets to me So Bristol Mayor in the UK Marvin Rees He's the first city to declare a climate crisis And I believe actually in South Australia They've just declared a climate crisis Which they think Well it does, it gives them more powers He flew nine hours to attend a conference to urge leaders to cut CO2, i.e. by not flying. He flew to Canada to speak at a TED conference. Now, we have modern technology. He could have spoken over video, over Zoom or something. That trip created 2.016 tonnes of CO2 per passenger. And it's entirely at odds with his messenger. But I love the fact that a spokesman from the mayor's office said the mayor was invited at the expense of the TED organisation as a speaker to share ideas and help change attitudes. No, I will not change my attitude with such hypocrisy. And I think that's what's going to happen in the world. Um, I think we're, we're moving much more towards a two-tier society where the poor are restricted from flying. The poor pay more for their heat and the wealthy get off with it. Do you know, here in North Sydney, for most people, paying a couple of hundred dollars, $500 extra for their heating is nothing. But if you live in a poorer area, it's a lot. For me, what's going on in the UK is absolutely appalling. And it cannot just be blamed on Ukraine, where energy costs are tripling. It's funny, going on the plane, coming back here, uh, I, I smiled at Dubai because they announced that the common class people should be ready. (laughs) They meant economy, but I just thought, yeah. And you pass that stairway in this big plane, that upstairs you see the bar and you see where the business class people go and the rest of us, the common people, are downstairs. I think that's an analogy for a lot of climate policy. And it's why wealthy, middle-class areas in Australia vote for Greens, but working-class areas don't. Oh, it's enough to make you <laughs> furious. Well, speaking of fury, um, we're going to play the top 10 concert. I think this is number five. And it's from Rattle and Hum and it's U2. Uh, it really is just a, an extraordinary concert because this particular song, and there's a wee speech at the beginning, was so courageous because it was a speech criticising Irish Americans before singing a song criticising British troops um, on the day of the Enniskillen bombing. Now, if you're gonna watch the video that linked to it, please be aware it does contain um, <laughs> some swearing, but I uh, actually think in, in in this instance, it's it's highly emotional and highly legitimate. But let's just hear some of this. Listen to the speech and, and the opening of the song.
3: Well, here we are, the Irish in America. The Irish have been coming to America for years. Going back to the great famine when the Irish were on the run from starvation and a British government that couldn't care less. Right up to today, you know, there are more Irish immigrants here in America today than ever. Some illegal, some legal. A lot of them are just running from high unemployment, some run from the troubles in Northern Ireland, from the hatred of the H-blocks, and torture, others from wild acts of terrorism, like we had today in a town called Inneskillen, where 11 people lie dead, many more injured on a Sunday Bloody Sunday.
1: Begun as many lost, but tell me who has won trenches dug within our hearts, mothers, children, brothers, sisters.
0: can't close my eyes and make it go away you know we were talking about um, Van Morrison talking about just how it can be fodder for the masses but the real news can be so depressing as it is about Ukraine and I love this line and it's true we are immune when fact is fiction and TV reality and today the millions cry we eat and drink while tomorrow they die and I love this bit the real battle's just begun to claim the victory Jesus won on Sunday, Bloody Sunday. All right, let's come on to our pronoun wars. Um, uh, I came across a uh, family father who told me that his 12-year-old son and other boys in his class had been taken out of a school in Scotland to be given pronoun training. Just get that. Taken out of a class to be given pronoun training. And then I think of even how that impacts the church because one of the things with our news we have got to make sure that we read the Bible not through the lens of the culture but that we read the culture through the lens of the Bible now there's an article in in, in premier Christianity by Cheen McDonald and this is quite important because Cheie McDonald and I think that's that's how you pronounce her name is a writer speaker and broadcaster and director of theosa um, a magazine I really like or they have a Religion and the Religion and Society think tank, and she publicly, she previously headed up public engagement at Christian Aid and was a former communications director for the Evangelical Alliance. Her latest book is God is not a white man. Now, she has said that she's no longer going to ascribe a gender to God because uh, not only was God not white, but I came to understand that God was not a man either. You know what she's doing. She's setting up a false position and using it to establish another false position. No one is saying that God is a man, although we are saying, by the way, that Jesus did become human. And he didn't just become human, he became a human male. He was not a female. Now, she talks about, I will no longer limit God to being male, for God is bigger and greater than we can imagine. But those who use the pronouns that God has given us for himself in his word are not saying that God is limited to being male because we believe what the Bible says that God that male and female are made in the image of God. So, I just it, it's it's an extraordinary thing that we keep allowing the culture to dictate to us what we should believe. Speaking of which, June is pride month and everyone falls for this. Uh, NASCAR, for example, are are celebrating Pride Month and apologising that elements of their community haven't done too well. Baylor University, a Christian institution, has officially charted its first LGBTQ plus student organisation in its 177 year history, despite the fact that its its, uh, charter says that... Their biblical understanding that sexual relations of any kind outside of marriage between a man and a woman are not in keeping with the teaching of scripture, and students are expected to stick to that. Now, the spokesperson for Baylor, Laurie Fogelman, said that PRISMS, that's the LGBT plus group, charter is consistent with the parameters outlined by the Baylor Board of Regents. No, it's not. Unless this is the most unusual LGBTQ plus organisation in the world that believes that homosexual sex is wrong or that homosexual marriage is wrong, same-sex marriage is wrong, then they would be most unusual. But it it just shows you how things can go downhill. Same way Loyola Marymount University, a Catholic school in Los Angeles, has installed tampon dispensers in the men's restroom because women can be men as well, or men can be women. And lots of Christian universities in the States have promoted planned parenthood. Now, Carl Truman talks about how we deal with this. And again, he's got a great article. And I agree with this. Pride Month is not something with which any Christian should have sympathy. He says that we should be opposing Pride Month and its flag in as public and strident a way as many have opposed racism and its symbols. Let us have many blog posts and tweets on the topic. Um, Social justice, he says, demands it. Well... I agree entirely, and uh, this podcast, I'm quite happy to say that. Uh, incidentally, uh, pride is so important. It's like a religion, isn't it, for so many people? Pride parades that the WHO have said that the pride parades post little risk of spreading monkeypox because most transmission is linked to enclosed spaces such as nightclubs. Now, they're so desperate for this that. They don't seem to recognise that many pride things take place indoors. It's funny, when we were all obsessed with COVID, and when COVID was so serious, we closed places of worship, churches. But will they close gay nightclubs? And why should I say that? Gay bars and saunas. Because the vast majority of the UK's 200 cases have occurred within these circumstances. 90% of all cases in England are among London residents. And it is tied in with the, the gay community. Now that's not to be homophobic, It's just simply to point something out. But that's the one thing you cannot point out
1: One man come in the name of love.
0: you too pride in the name of love i think gay pride is wrong i think it's sinful and it's wicked in in the sense of it's pride about ourself it's pride about sexuality and it's just wrong i think that it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be humble in our response it also doesn't mean that we should be proud of of other things it just there's to be a humility. I love this idea of pride in the name of love, which was written about Martin Luther King, but ultimately is about Christ. All right, we're going to go, and I'm going to leave you with um, a song that I think gives us a great deal of hope. Vangelis, who wrote this, uh, died a couple of weeks ago. The Greek genius. of course Chariots of Fire by Vangelis. Still one of the best films you will ever see and an example of Christian faith in the face of adversity and the opposition of people in authority and power. I love this bit. This is just a short clip from the film.
3: I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted (laughs) me.
1: Oh, I'm
3: so pleased. I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny, Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him.
0: When I run, I feel his pleasure. Do you know, when you're doing what God has created you for, to know God's pleasure is absolutely the best and most wonderful thing. It's not about sex and sexuality. It's not about money. It's not about violence and war. It is about doing what God has created us to do, to glorify and enjoy him through whatever we do. I was in Edinburgh at um, Chalmers Church And I was so encouraged by what I saw there. I was so encouraged being back in Scotland, that though the situation is dire in so many ways, yet there are faithful pastors, faithful churches, faithful Christians seeking to do what God has called them to. And I pray that you would know, and all of us, wherever we are, wherever we are in the world, in Australia, in the United Kingdom, in America, in Africa, in Asia, Wherever and there are listeners all over the world to this I just pray that you would know The pleasure of God So I'm going to love you and leave you Any comments please feel free to pass on Sorry this is a wee bit longer than usual I didn't realise I had so much stuff I'm going to try and limit it in the future And uh, if you want to support The Quantum Podcast Please do so By the way I'm starting up a news and prayer letter For Ask which is what I work with An evangelistic project I work with here Please do let me know if you'd like a copy of it uh, Going to produce it in the middle of this month and then on a monthly basis. You've got any suggestions or comments or complaints or whatever, feel free to write and let me know. All the links and so on are on the website. So, God bless you, and we leave you with the inspiration of those chariots of fire. Bye.
1: Early